0: All right, and welcome back to the Ferrari Marketplace. I'm William Ross, I'm your host, and I appreciate you guys uh, checking out and uh, listening. I know it's been, I think it's almost been two months since I've actually dropped a new one. So, my apologies for that, but I've been a little tied up doing a few other things. I did some traveling and whatnot. So, uh, trying to squeeze these things in was a little difficult. Well, I mean, I probably could have done it, but honestly, I'm just a bit lazy, so didn't really get it all put together, but I got to get that all situated, so now I'm back at home so I can uh, start putting some more of these out for you guys. So, today's episode, what we are going to talk about is probably, you know, I know my one I said about the 280 GTO. The 280 GTO is probably my all-time favorite Ferrari. You just, you know, and, and hey, you know, I, I'm a child of, hey, I, I was born in 1970, but, you know, in my teenage years, you know, obviously... In the 80s, bedroom walls, whatnot, 288 GTO is what stuns me. But then, as we know, towards the end of the 80s, the venerable F40 came out. So, it's almost a tie between the 288 GTO and the F40 as being my favorite Ferrari. Now, you know, I like... The thing I love about the 288 GTO is, I mean, it, it's—I want to say understated, but you know, basically it is—is the 308, 328, just kind of beefed up. Uh, obviously, a lot better motor, everything like that to it. I mean, it's not nowhere near, you know, derivative, what have you, what you want to say. But you know, the F40 basically was built up uh, basically from scratch. You know, now the motor was actually taken from the 288 GTO Evolution, but everything else was built up just for that specific car. So. Let's kind of jump into how it became about. So obviously, as we know, the 280 GTO Ferrari created that vehicle and built the 272 of them, but what it was built for was to go Group B rallying. Now, I don't know how many of you out there are the Group B rally fans, I'm a big one of it. I love watching those videos from back then. Those guys are absolutely nuts. I should say gals too, because there are some women also racing very, very well too. Michelle Mouton was awesome, but anyways, you know, they built those cars for that rally series. Well, as they basically got going do it, Group B got the X. Well, in that time when it was getting close when they built these, is they built the 288 GTO Evolution. Now, the motor they built in that car um, had some, you know, better turbos, whatnot. It, had, you know, it was a lot bigger motor, so to speak, that was put in that car. And they built the five of them. For that, and so, but then when Groupie got killed, they had no place to to go with them. So they're like, okay, what do we do? We have this thing. Well, basically, it was all going to get you know binned and never seen again. Well, one of the individuals at Ferrari says, well, hey, you know, since we have this motor, why don't we do something along the lines of building a car that celebrates our 40th anniversary? So what they did was is you know they proposed this idea, and being that this is actually the last car that Enzo Ferrari himself signed off on his signature to it, as I guess everyone would say, you know, that's what kind of gives it more of its aura, its nostalgia to it because of that fact. You know, it went basically from that concept and idea to basically a road-going car in 11, 11 months. Some say some say 11, some say 13 months. So let's just say 11 to 13 months. It, it it basically got designed the whole nine yards. It got built and put together, stuffed that motor in there and do it. Now, if you know what the car is, well, you know, obviously it's all down to about design. Very aerodynamic, a lot of time in the wind tunnel uh, to execute that design. Plus the fact is, it was, you know, one of the first cars or the first car supposed, production car to be able to go over 200 miles an hour. And they were saying the top speed was 201, which was never verified or never done. But that was always an argument. And no one was really going to go against Ferrari and Enzo themselves saying that's what was going on. So they just kind of let it be. But anyways, you know, the F40 getting built, you know, that thing is, is one of the first cars to use. Carbon fiber, so you know, in essence, it's more, it's a carbon Kevlar mesh weave that is used on the exterior and the body panels on that car. So it's basically one of the first, the first car to utilize that type of material, that concept for a car. Now it still had a two frame chassis, but all the exterior panels and all that were all done out of this carbon Kevlar material. So if you own one today and you crash it, it's very, very expensive to fix. Um, You know, and their main goal, obviously, for this car too was lightness. So they stuffed that 288 GTO Evolution motor in there, twin turbocharged, cranks out about roughly the average is around 470 to 475 horsepower. Now, obviously, as these things were built, the various levels of horsepower kind of fluctuated amongst the cars. There was really no set one, so that's just a gift for some you know hand built Italian machinery. So, but I mean, you're still in that range, say between 400, 470 to 480. Let's just ballpark in there. But, you know, and for that cars, they had tons of torque. That's the other nice thing about this car. It's got gobs and gobs of torque. It's got 456 foot pound of torque. So that thing gets up and goes, like, right now. So it's a very, very fast car. But the other advantage it has is it only weighs about 3,000 300, 300, 3, pounds dry. So... I know 470 to 480 horsepower, These this day and age, like, oh, God, that doesn't sound like much. You know, you got Camry's getting close to 400 horsepower and all this crap. <clears throat> well, you got a car that only weighs about 3,000 pounds. So, you know, you got your horsepower to weight ratio there. So it's, it's very, very agile in the fact that that thing can get up and get moving very, very quickly. So, um, you know, and <clears throat> everything they kept in this car to keep the weight down, they obviously, with the carbon Kevlar uh, exterior body panels, uh, also, to the minimalistic interior, you know, every, every car built was the Rosso and also had red interior. But, you know, interior-wise, everything was gone. No, no carpeting. Well, take that back. There's no carpeting on the Forza, but there was carpeting on the dash. Some people kind of fail to realize that or don't know that, that they actually carpeted the dash. Why? I don't know. I'm not sure if it had to do with Sun Glare maybe or something, but they did carpet the dash. I mean, it's not like a stick plush carpet or anything like that, but it is a carpeted dash. Um it's not the mouse hair stuff that they used back in the day along those lines in the older cars that used to have that nowadays it's a nightmare to try and replace and get fixed Um but it was a carpeted dash but everything else is gone you know everything's deleted i mean no door handles all your door handles to get out of that car it's basically it's a wire cable to get in or you yank on that to get out of the car so you know everything's out you know this is just a pure driver's car you know you're not going to sit there and jam the tunes and go tooling around anything so no it's all about that motor that's sitting right behind your head there's your music that's what you want to listen to so getting that thing built and get up going so when this thing was revealed to the world you know they built this thing pretty hush hush and obviously rather quickly within basically a year you know they Bought it and revealed it to the world and it immediately, people went bonkers for this car. You know, it was just, you know, something, if you look at it, it was something that was never seen, you know, something like this for a road car was never really done before, especially by a manufacturer like Ferrari. You know, now I, I just, back then, the main competitor who they were going against or everyone pitted it against was the 959. These are two totally, completely different cars. That 959, as everyone knows, is a tour de force technologically. It's got all wheel drive, the computers and everything around that, you know, and even them selling those at the four or $500,000, they, they, I think they were still, they were losing four or $500,000 every car. So basically, I think it cost them like one to 1.2 million to build each car, but then they sold them, you know, basically half that price, but it was, you know, it was a technological exercise for them. But, you know, Two German engineering down to the nth degree, you know, but then you got the Italian passion. So two totally completely cars, two completely different driving experiences. But anyways, this car got released to the public. People just went absolutely crazy. Now, the other fact was is, you know, this being basically the last car, the Enzo put his signature, uh, you know, to and stamped for approval to get produced. Speculators, everyone was going through the roof in regards to getting their hands on them and flipping them and doing everything. So all these things happened. Now, the original allotment, they were only going to build 400 units of this car, but due to demand and just, uh, you know, everyone just absolutely going nuts for the car, hey, let's build more. So that kind of upset some of the people that were first through the door, and it really upset a lot of speculators, but I don't mean, for, for care about the speculators because, you know, they're not very fond of people buying their cars and flipping them. They, they are not fond of that at all. You know, as a, everyone knows, it's what it— the takes and what it entails for you to be able to get on the buyer's list, you know, to get in Ferrari's favor in regards to getting access to all these new special cars. Like yeah. You don't flip these cars. No, you don't give them. You don't sell bills. You don't do that. Cause as soon as you get that, you like that you're done, you'll never get offered another car again. It's not like you go and get banned for five, 10 years and then come back. No, doesn't happen. Um, There's stickler that. you know, they're not hurting for people wanting to buy the car. So it's next man up. So anyways, they built in a building up to one thousand three hundred fifteen of these cars, and obviously that was over a production run of about four years. So I mean it's you know it's a nice run. So you know you look at was it about three hundred you know three little over three hundred cars a year they built. Um, obviously the earlier cars, um, especially the ones that came over here to the U.S., you know, after nineteen ninety they had to have catalytic converters. But you know the Euro spec and the U.S. spec cars are rather different in regards to. Just how they drive everything, uh, the suspension, the whole nine yards. Because obviously the mandates are required to make the car U.S. homologated. You know, really kind of kills things, and that's one of the things I don't really like about here in the United States in regards to cars that we get. You know, they're so gentrified, so to speak, in regards to you know safety and everything like that. And all this, you know, if they just you, you know, it's just obscene. What do you get? You know. The cars they can get over there in Europe, are, you know, are fantastic as compared to a lot of the cars we, you know, the cars we're able to buy over here in the United States. I mean, point in fact, the new M three Touring. I, I, I was telling someone the other day that you know I had a deposit already and at the dealer, but they just told me it wasn't coming here to the states. And I told them, Hey, like, look here, take take five hundred bucks, and if it does by chance, then hey, I want the first one. But it never did, and but they still had my five hundred bucks. So I was like, hey, I'm waiting, to see, you never know right? So it's one of those gambles you take. But anyways, back to the F40. Now, obviously with that many getting out there, they're going up, but prices actually kind of held steady on those cars. Um, and as obviously demand grew, price grew on these cars, you know, you know, this is back in, you know, the 90s and spending like a million. I know Nigel Mantle's F40 back then in the 90s sold for like 1.5 million. Now that's a lot of money, but obviously having... You know, Nigel's name attached to it or back to it, you know, had to do it. Now, me, myself, I'm not one to spend and pay extra for just because someone who else owned the car. I could care less. Only thing I care about is that person who owned it, took care of it, has all the records. That's my biggest concern, and that's what I want to keep an eye on. That's what motivates me wanting to buy a car. Not that so and so's ass sat in him. I could care less. You know, um, it does nothing for me. You know, A lot of people out there, somebody out there does, you know, does add value and people pay for it. Why? I don't know. You know, it's just to me, I just don't get it. You know, there might be one or two cars out there that were owned by someone that might mean something, you know, maybe by Schumacher or by Senna, you know, something along those lines. But the thing is, you know, a lot of these guys that own those cars, they're like four or five owners ago. It wasn't like it just came out of their collection or anything along those lines no it's way back so what's the point you know i don't get it you know and that's the really thing too like all these people paying all these gobs of money for stuff that steve mcqueen owned you know i don't get it you know now a couple of cool things you know, like paul newman's rolex now that sold what was that 15 20 million dollars paul newman's rolex daytona now that's obscene money just for a watch but you know what that name tied to it and with the engraving that was on it okay you got something there but still i wouldn't spend 20 million dollars on a watch that's just me. I think it was 20. I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, I apologize. That's on me. Um, just kind of wrong top. But I know it's some kind of obscene amount of money. But anyways, let's get back to our topic, right? The F40. So anyways, so they get out there and, you know, they're playing for these cars. Hey, this is just a road-going car. That's all it was, you know, made for. You know, they didn't have any plans to race this car. They had no intent of racing this car. Well, obviously, when you have a car that's got that much capability, horsepower, light, people are going to go race it. Hey, look at the McLaren F1. Same thing, Gordon Mercer, like, Hey, we, I don't no plan to race it, but then what happened to go race it? And then first time out, they go out and they win the ball. Basically, with a stock car. So, anyways, people started clamoring, wanted to race car and get a it. So, ends up doing is they end up teaming up uh, with the Biglotti and they end up building the F40 LM with LM standing for Le Mans. So they built this car up, and this thing, obviously, yeah, <laughs> they stripped out more weight somehow, 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 some way they did. But one of the big things is the motor. They took that thing apart and rebuilt it. They stuck on much larger IHI turbochargers and basically, basically put it up to, I think it was almost 38 PSI on those things where the road-going standard stock ones were like 16 PSI. So right there, tell you so, and it got it up there over 700 plus horsepower, and there are really no definitive numbers on torque, but let's just say the torque was probably up there too. But anyways, you know they stepped it on, took that motor, reworked it, and they said if they really unleashed it, you could probably get close to a thousand horsepower with that motor. Um, but anyways, normally just because of sanctions and whatnot in the race series, they did it. Obviously, you know they get kind of uh, restrained a bit. So they built 19 of the Ferrari F40 LMs. Now, again, these, these were lighter, bigger motor, whatnot, and these were just racing cars. You know, but obviously it was derived from the street car. So just, you know, aesthetically, you know, if you're in the know, you can tell the difference between the two, the wings, the wheels, everything like that. But, you know, it, it just someone on the street, they'll just know it's an F40. I mean, you got that iconic rear wing. I mean, that car right then and there. You know, many, many people just know, you know, of an F40 when they see it. They know that's a Ferrari, they know it's an F40. So price-wise... Let's talk about pricing on these cars. Now, I'm, my business is I deal in Ferrari, so I'm kind of dealing price-wise with these cars on a pretty regular basis. Now, I actually, I mean, it doesn't sound like that many. Only 1,300 cars built, you know, um, the LM side, you know, that the 19 built. So they get up there in price. Now, you see people jump around, but I'll tell you right now, currently at this time, day and age, uh, in July of 2022 – you're probably in the $1.8 to $2.5 million range for an F40. Now, a lot of factors will play into that. If it's Class E certified, um, you know, mileage plays a big role in that ownership. Another big thing is original paint. If it's got original paint on that car, then you're talking some good money because when they built those things, they put on barely any paint because, again, about weight. You know, it all boils down to, hey, let's keep the weight off. So, the ones where, you know, you can see the exposed, basically, carbon fiber uh, Kevlar weave, um, you know, those things are worth a lot more money just because of that fact. Um, you know, obviously, cars throughout time, you know, things happen to them. But if you can come across original paint one, plexiglass slide side window one, too, you're going to pay top dollar. You're going to be in that two five, $2.5 million plus range. You know, and again, hey, I'm always telling someone when I'm working with them for what they're looking for, they're looking for to pay for the best thing that you can afford. You know, what's your intent with this car? You know, people aren't going to be going on, you know, country slogs in this thing, driving across country or going for 10, 12 hour jaunts in these cars. These are, you know, people use these as a weekend toy. They're going to go out for an hour or two, go to a Cars and Coffee, go to something along like that. You know, unfortunately, you know, they don't get exercised the way they should. But the other side of it is too is, the people that A lot of these people that have these things don't have the capability to handle all that power and drive. So, God forbid, they crash it because that's just, you know, ugh, there's some repair bills you don't want. So, you know, the other fact, too, is take into account when you buy this car. Be aware of the fact of maintenance and what it takes to keep these cars road going. You know, they have a lot of maintenance that needs to be done. Just they get timed out, so to speak. You know, like the fuel bladder. It's every five years that that thing's got to be replaced uh that's a very very large undertaking just to do that you know all your rubber bushings all everything in that car especially if you're not driving all that much getting the fluids going through it and you know getting that thing exercised the stuff just starts getting dry gets brittle you know that that's one of the things too is when you have cars like that you need to drive them you know that's what it is it's a car you know these cars need to be driven Now i'm not saying you need to drive 50,000 miles a year or something like that but take it out a couple times a month if you have that ability depending on where you're in the country and go for a couple hundred mile drive you know once or twice a month you know exercise that car it really really needs it now we start talking pricing to the lms now this is where it gets a little i guess uh, interesting now now you go out there and you look and see what people say what they're going for now i'm not sure where they're coming up these prices because i'm seeing them very very low because a couple of the lms that i was trying to source and find some us that we were in the about five to six million dollar range now i've seen a couple of things people saying oh it's only about like three or four yeah, i don't think so you know you only got 19 or something like that and the people are going to start paying through the nose for it you know and again it's going about boiled boil down to mileage class c e certification all that now obviously these were basically these were race cars so you really couldn't put them on the street but i know there's a couple out there that they basically got you know uh I don't want to say federalized but they got turned into so they could be a street going car. Now, Again, making a street-going car over in Europe as compared to the United States is less undertaking than it would be over here. Over here, it would take a lot more to it, and basically, you—I want to say—kill the soul of the car. But you know, you'd be taking away a lot of things and adding stuff to it that really—and why would you want to drive that car in the street, anyways? I mean, it's just going to beat you up. I mean, you're going to be bouncing all over your kidneys, you're going to be hating you. So, anyways, uh, it, it's something like it, But you know, out there in the market. You're looking in that five to six million range. Now I know some people say, "Oh God, no, I don't say." But uh, look, I tell you right now, I, I was you know working on some deals with those and trying you know hunt some down, and that's the prices that we're getting you know that need to be done to get them paid for and bought. Um, and, and obviously, some people balk at it, but some people get it. So it all depends on the buyer what they're willing to step up and pay for the car. So hey, there's only 19 of them ever built. So right there, you got that exclusivity to that car because compared to anyone else, so. It all depends on how much of a big hair you are, right? So anyways, the Ferrari F40, again, my, I guess you say my, I hate saying second favorite, most favorite Ferrari, because I said it's right up there with my first favorite 2 GTO because I just think that F40 is great. I got to drive one for all of about maybe three minutes, um, just kind of some real slow enough it, but even at that, just doing it was such an exhilarating experience, it was unbelievable. Um, it's just, it's so cool. I mean, it's just, I would give it anything to be able to just take that F40 and just tool around and just like, I want to say, not so much let loose because God forbid I'd crash it. But, you know, I'd be paranoid. So, but just to take it little would be fantastic. I know one of these days I get it. You now that's one of my goals is obviously I'd love to have an F40 in my garage and sit there and get up every morning and walk out there and just stare at it for hours. <laughs> my wife would think I was nuts, but I would just grab a chair and sit there and stare at it and just take a cloth to it and just rub it down all day long, just saying, this is my baby. This is my baby, you know? I'd, I'd go live in some shack if I had to, but that what it means if I could afford one. So anyways, yeah, you never know where the road takes you, right? You never know where life's going to happen. So anyways... That's it. I wanted to talk about the F40, kind of get into it. Like I said, I didn't dive in too much detail-wise what this car. I mean, I'm sure everyone that's listening to this podcast, you know, pretty much knows what the F40 is, you know, all the specs on it. So I'm not going to really dive into it. I just kind of want to get into more the nitty-gritty or uh, certain aspects of it, just about, hey, what they're going for, you know, what the basics of, how the car came about. Um, you know, it's it's a great story and how quickly that thing came to the market. Um, and, you know, again, being the last ones, that Enzo rubber stamp, so... That's what I want to leave this app. Uh, again, hey, you know, I, I know I haven't been around for a month doing stuff, but all right, I, I'm getting back up on the horse to get these things out going again. So I'm debating on what the next one might be on. So maybe we'll just do the F50 next. Maybe so we should just start going down the line, right? You know, when that last manual uh, supercar that Ferrari built, everything after like that was automated. So let's talk about that one next. So let's get that up on the thing, and we'll have it uh, hopefully here next week, uh, maybe a little bit sooner. All right, guys, again, I really appreciate you listening. Uh, Spread the word. Get other people to listen. And check out the YouTube channel also, uh, if you want to. It's uh, Garage65. I kind of covered it. But I also have the Ferrari Marketplace um, channel that's dealing just with Ferrari. So I'm headed to the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix weekend this thing. And uh, I know they got some big deal going on with the uh, 75th anniversary for Ferrari. So that should be pretty exciting to see what cars are there. So, anyways, again, everyone, I appreciate you listening. Uh, stay tuned and more coming. Hey, take care and have a good one. Talk to you soon.